For our second message, we have a sermon from Mr. Gregory entitled Six Woes in Isaiah 5. Mr. Gregory. Bible students of prophecy are familiar with the three woes in Revelation, the 8th chapter, verse 13. The uh, three woes that are the 5th, 6th, and 7th trumpet blasts of the 7th seal. And the 7th trumpet blast is composed of the seven last plagues. So we have seven seals, seven trumpets, and seven last plagues. And in those are the three woes, the fifth, sixth, and seventh trumpet blast. Now, not as many folks are as familiar with the six woes that are in the book of Isaiah chapter 5. Now, Isaiah chapter 5 could be called um, the song of the vineyard. It could be called the parable of the vineyard. It could be called, as uh, the King James Bible titles that chapter, God's judgment upon various sins. Or as I have chosen to title this message today, the six woes of Isaiah, the fifth chapter. Now we'll open with uh, New Testament scripture in Second Peter, the first chapter, verse 20 and 21. We read this. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So we have uh, a lot of prophecy in the Bible. Uh, and we know that prophecy is filled with metaphors and analogies and history and uh, typology of future applications, illustrations, lessons. And so Isaiah, the fifth chapter, is full of so many of the uh, uh, things that we see from uh, the uh, historical aspect of uh, prophecy that we see from the future application of uh, collective application, perhaps to Israel, to the church, to other nations, to individuals, anyone who would set themselves to be called by God into a special relationship with them ought to consider some of the message that uh, we find here in Isaiah, the fifth chapter. So let's go back to Isaiah, the uh, fifth chapter. And we'll begin in the introduction to uh, leading up to the six woes that I mentioned. But the first thing we uh, see is Isaiah speaking. Now I, now will I sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved. Now, maybe we didn't realize this before, but Isaiah was a singer. Now, I don't know how good a voice he had, but uh, we know that this following parable or illustration or verse or song was uh, something that he was singing that God was saying because we'll break into this here because it's touching 
his vineyard. And then at the last phrase here of Psalm, I mean of Isaiah chapter 1, uh, verse 1, chapter 5, verse 1 and verse 2 is the introductory uh, parable or song that uh, Isaiah is singing. My well beloved, and this is a description of God that we read a lot of this in the uh, Song of Solomon. Here uh, is a description of God. My well beloved has a vineyard in a very fruitful hill. And he, that is God, fenced it and gathered out the stones thereof and planted it with choicest vine and built a tower in the midst of it and also made a winepress therein. And he looked that it should bring forth grapes and it brought forth wild grapes. So it is a description of this uh, vineyard and it occurs, the, the word it, the reference occurs 12 times in this chapter. Five in the first few verses here and seven a little later on. But notice that this is a vineyard that God has hedged about, protected, that he has developed. He has uh, uh, plowed it and taken out the stones. And he was looking for good produce. He was looking for good fruit. He was looking for good vines and good grapes. But uh, what did he see? It brought forth wild grapes. Now, first thing we need to ask, whose fault is it? Is it God's fault that he planted this vineyard and it came up wild grapes? Or is it the fault of the individuals that produced this uh, wild grapes? Because let's drop down uh, just a minute. We'll get ahead of our story here. But I think it would be good for us to see in verse 8, verse 7. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel and the men of Judah, his pleasant plant. So he's talking about the Israelites and the Jews, both different nations, but you can lump them into Israel at one time or what applies to Israel and uh, to Judah. Uh, and continuing here, and he looked for judgment, but behold, oppression. He looked for righteousness, but behold, a cry. And a cry of sin, of oppression. We'll see later what that cry was. So God was looking for good produce and good fruit and good vines in this vineyard that he was developing. But instead, it produced wild grapes. And so he says in verse 3, And now... O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, I pray you, between me and my vineyard. Now, we know that Isaiah prophesied in the 7th century up into the latter part of the 6th century to uh, Israel and to Judah, uh, to Israel about the coming uh, invasion and protection, I mean uh, uh, judgment and discipline by the Assyrians, and then later on Judah, by the Babylonians. And so there are other chapters in Isaiah and many of the other minor prophets, as well as major prophets, that show uh, what God was going to be doing in the future. But Isaiah is already seeing something that is in the land right then that is affecting Israel, that uh, God is going to bring judgment on them uh, later, several generations later. And uh, continuing now, 
in verse 4. What could have been done more to my vineyard that I have not done in it? Nothing. What, what more than what God did? Everything. He, he blessed them. He protected them. He provided for them. He looked for, like he said, uh, for good grapes. Instead, wild grapes were coming out. Wherefore, when I looked that it should bring forth grapes, brought it forth wild grapes. Now notice there's no answer here, just a question, couple of questions that God asks. And it causes us to think, what is the answer? What is the cause? What is the reason for this situation that God is scolding them for? And now go to, I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away the hedge thereof, and it shall be eaten up, and break down the wall thereof, and it shall be trodden down. And I will lay it waste, and it shall not be pruned, nor digged, but there shall come up briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that they rain, no rain upon it. So God is telling about the judgment that he is going to bring upon these sinning men because of what he is seeing in the land. Then he goes on into verse 7, For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah his pleasant plant. And he looked for judgment, but behold oppression, for righteousness, but behold a cry. Now, I want to uh, describe here just a little bit. First, uh, we know this righteousness in the Hebrew, uh, that's what it means, righteousness or uh, uh, right living. Uh, we know that other scriptures show that it's keeping the commandments of God, of obedient, being obedience to God. And the judgment here is God's sentence upon them for doing right. He expects men to give right judgment, to do right, to uh, not only be righteous, but to do right. And so uh, he is castigating them for their failure to live up to his standard. And to his example. Then we go into from uh, verse 8 uh, through uh, verse 25 are these six woes that are mentioned. And so we'll look at these here. The first woe in verse 8. Woe. And that's what, the, what it means. Woe or oh or alas or some uh, concern. Woe unto them that join house to house, that lay field to field, Till there be no place, that they may be placed alone in the midst of the earth. In my ears, said the Lord of hosts, of a truth, many houses shall be desolate, even great and fair, without inhabitant. Yea, ten acres of vineyard shall yield one bath, and the seed of an omer shall yield an ephah. Now, remember when uh, God told Israel when they came into the land... They were to divide it equally by lot, and it wasn't to be sold, but uh, each family, each person, according to their size of the family, would have a portion of the land. And that if they were obedient to God, uh, you can go back in um, Leviticus, the 26th chapter, uh, Deuteronomy, 28th chapter, Deuteronomy, the 8th chapter, and you will see those promises of blessings on the people if they would obey God. 
And he didn't intend for these huge conglomerate uh, corporations to take over all of the farmland and to take over all the businesses and to have all of these enormous, uh, large, uh, sinful corporations that were causing uh, difficulties for the people. You know, uh, I don't have that need right now, but I know if you <clears throat> are in the uh, market to go out and rent an apartment, they're very expensive to rent an apartment. And to many times, uh, we see uh, where uh, land that is owned by a private citizen in America many times is condemned by the city or by some corporate structure because they want that land to set up some business to make a lot of money. And you look at all of the big corporate farms that are making it harder and harder and harder for a little difficult, the small individual farmer to have a business. And it's because of all of the excesses of what they're forgetting here. Where God intended them to, as he says here, it's, it's kind of in a, in a vague uh, situation here where he says uh, that uh, he intended for them to be great and to be special and to be placed that they may be placed alone in the midst of the earth. Remember God promised to Israel was if they were obedient to him, they would be the chief of the nations and that he would bless them to be in the center. You'll find most of the geographical uh, equator areas of the, United, of the world, of the planet, are where the Israelitish nations are surrounded. Not in the extreme north, not in the extreme south, even though many times they control those areas. But God intended them to uh, inhabit the midst of the earth. And if you look at some of the placement of those Israel tribes, you'll find them that way, inhabiting close to the uh, center of the uh, land masses. Now, the second woe here, woe unto them that rise up early in the morning that they may follow strong drink, that continue until night, till wine inflame them, and the harp and the vial, the tabaret and the pipe and wine are in their feasts. But they regard not the work of the Lord neither consider the operation of his hands. Therefore, my people are gone into captivity because they have no knowledge, and their honorable men are famished, and their multitude dried up with thirst. Therefore, again, hell has enlarged herself and opened her mouth without measure, and their glory and their multitude and their pomp, and he that rejoices shall descend into it. And the mean man shall be brought down, and the mighty man shall be humbled, and the eyes of the lofty shall be humbled. But the Lord of the hosts shall be exalted in judgment, and God that is holy shall be sanctified in righteousness. Then shall the lambs feed after their manner, and the waste places of the fat ones shall strangers eat. And so God is showing again he's condemning the drunkenness and the party spirit and the pomp and all of the vanity and the ego and let's just think of, uh, of modern times and modern comparisons rather than trying to figure out you know what it was like back then you can you can imagine because God is explaining right here what sinners what people were like then but let's bring it to to, to modern day application 
and ask ourselves what lessons that we can learn. Is this something that we can see and apply it to us? Now, I was uh, kind of amazed uh, early, and I mentioned this to my, uh, to my wife, that um, I uh, was uh, watching the news and they were showing then this uh, young 10-year-old boy, I think he was about 10, that had a, a lot of musical talent. He could play the piano. And so what they did was they had a concert in his backyard, and he was playing the piano, and so a lot of the neighborhood came, and a lot of people came, and of course the news were coming because they had promoted this, about this concert that this 10-year-old boy was having. And I was amazed because when the TV was on him and the uh, uh, reporter was uh, interviewing him, this is what this kid said. Now that I'm famous, I can do more of this. And I thought, what ego is coming already out of that young boy? He's got his 15 minutes of fame. Now he said, now that I'm famous, one concert, and he's famous. And I thought, you know, where has his parents, what have his parents been teaching him about humility and meekness and lowliness and about growing? And, you know, a 10-year-old boy should not have that expressive ego, should he? Well, this is, uh, this is what uh, was going on with all of those people that were um, carried away with their uh, exalted vanity in their feast. And notice here, the, the music that was uh, to be dedicated to God in his feast, they were converting it to their own uh, use, and they weren't regarding the work of God, nor considering the operation of his hands. Who among those that are musically inclined, and I know there are uh, uh, physical songs and ballads and music that we uh, love and that is entertaining and be positive, but how many use their talent for God and for his glory and to lift him up and to express praise and appreciation? That's wonderful when somebody has a talent and they can use it for God's service. Therefore, he said, because of this, they were going to go into captivity. Now, we know uh, if we uh, skip ahead to um, Isaiah, the 10th chapter, and uh, we can, we can go up to um, Isaiah, the 10th chapter, uh, and verse 5. O Assyrian, the rod of mine anger, and the staff in, my, in their hand is my indignation. I will send him against an hypocritical nation, and against the people of my wrath will I give him a charge to take the spoil, and to take the prey, and to tread down like the mire of the streets. Howbeit, he meaneth not so, neither does his heart think so, but it is his heart to destroy and cut off nations, not a few. And then up to, uh, skip up to uh, just a few verses here in uh, Isaiah, the uh, uh, 13th chapter. How do you, um, No, I want to go to Isaiah, the 14th chapter, verse 24. There's, there's a lot more in Isaiah, but I'm, I'm just going to go here to uh, Isaiah chapter 14, a few verses. Verse 24, the Lord of hosts has sworn, saying, Surely 
as I have thought, so shall it come to pass, and as I have purposed, so shall it stand, that I will break the Assyrian in my land, and upon my mountain tread him underfoot. Then shall his yoke depart off them, and his burden depart from off their shoulders. This is the purpose that is purposed upon the whole earth, and this is the hand that is stretched out upon all the nations, for the Lord of hosts has purposed. And who shall disannul it? And his hand is stretched out, and who shall turn it back? Now we saw back here earlier that uh, God uses uh, some individuals sometimes to punish other individuals. He uses like nations. We had like Assyria, then we had Babylon that, uh, uh, that he used to uh, bring judgment and discipline upon Israel and Judah. Then we have the Medo-Persian Empire. Then we have the Greco-Macedonian Empire. Then we have the Roman Empire. Now we're going to have the next world empire will be the kingdom of God that's going to come and bring righteousness and judgment and discipline on all of those. So sometimes you go back in the histories of some of the wicked kings of Israel, God used them to uh, discipline and to chastise and to protect previous kings or the kingdom of the nation. Then they were uh, punished and then they were disciplined. So God uses a bad person sometimes to discipline a bad person. So we know that the uh, rule of the Assyrians, and we know from prophecy that the Assyrians have migrated now to become the modern day Germans, and uh, the history of their release and of Israel coming out of that captivity after many years of God's judgment on them. I'm not going to go back into those prophecies and dates. We've looked at those a number of times. But I want to bring it to modern day application. And just think about what's happening in Europe today. What's happening in the world. What's happening to our beloved America. And to look at the encouragement that we're giving nationally to Germany to get involved and to stand up to Russia. And to uh, get uh, become more... Uh, outspoken and to be stronger militarily to stand with Europe against the, the Russians in this matter of Ukraine and Syria and Iran and Iraq and Libya and it looks like we blindly are doing everything we can to encourage and promote the development of what we know is going to be that European beast power that's going to be rising in Europe and uh, that is going to affect America and bring judgment and discipline on, on us so we can think about all of the things that are going on in America that are wrong and things that are going wrong in the world that are wrong and knowing that God ultimately is going to make everything right but there's going to have to be some spanking there's going to have to be some judgment and there's going to have to be some discipline laid out on mankind but verse 16 and 17 Wonderful, in the midst of, you know, God tells us in the midst of his wrath is mercy. And God is a merciful, loving, kind to God. And even though he sends judgment, he doesn't beat uh, a person down without showing some mercy and, and wanting them to come to repentance and wanting them to be blessed. And so the Lord of hosts shall be exalted in judgment. And God that is holy shall be sanctified in righteousness. So what he's wanting of man is the way God is. He has right judgment and he has right righteousness. That's what he wants us to have as a nation, as a people. Then shall the lambs feed after their manner 
and the waste places of the fat ones shall strangers eat. Then the uh, next woe. Woe unto them that draw iniquity with cords of vanity and sin, as it were, with a cart rope. That say, let him make speed and hasten his work that we may see it and let the countenance, counsel of the Holy One of Israel draw near and come that we may know it. So look at the arrogance and the haughtiness and the scoffing and the belittling. How they say, you know, let God do it. Let him bring it on. Just, just get it on, uh, God, and, and uh, in, a, in an accusative, in a negative way, looking for that judgment. You know, instead of repenting, instead of changing and saying, God, protect us, send it away, look at the haughtiness and the arrogance that tie themselves like they're drawn like with a cart rope, just fastening themselves to this uh, uh, cart that is uh, sin that is identified here in verse 18 as sin. Well, then we say the fourth woe. Woe unto them. Now, the fourth, fifth, sixth uh, are uh, very brief and very uh, short, so we'll just look here and look at the negative. Now, the woe is not for good. The woe is for uh, judgment and discipline and for condemnation and for scolding. So we want to look here at um, the uh, fourth woe in verse 20. Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. It's how they twist everything around. Look at the evil today. Let's take, for example, marriage. Instead of the good, they've twisted that all around. Male with male, female with female, getting all these little kids confused about who's their mommy and who's their daddy and, and causing. Now it's coming to Oklahoma and affecting us more and more of uh, what we call homosexual sodomites that are in the land. And God condemns that, actually. And uh, we know that he condemns it. But even in the churches, now they're accepting it and promoting it and uh, giving approval to it. And so who is standing firm with God and condemning that? You know, we could go back to creation. God created Adam and Eve. And he brought her to Adam. And he said, this is, uh, and Adam said, this is my wife. And God blessed and called Adam the husband and the family. And he made them male and female throughout the um, uh, animal and the uh, human and the plant realm. Sex is important. And God has put male and female, especially in the human race, to have marriage. And so they've got it all twisted up. Uh, today you, you, you look at uh, things that are that are bribes that are called, uh, just looking at some of my notes here, fees, uh, license, permits, refunds. Don't you get tired of all those kickbacks, rebates, points, payola? Why don't we just lower the price and have everything affordable rather than 
say, adding the price up and then giving a coupon and a discount to come in, it, does it make much sense? I mean, we all like those discounts. We all like coupons. We like a cheaper price. But if you're going to have this price, why don't you just have this price, $1, instead of $3 and then a $2 discount if you come in on a certain day? Uh, How many times have I seen uh, auto dealers that, our sales manager overbought. Well, they didn't fire him <laughs> for overbuying, but they're going to have a sale. And now they, they're going to have, every Friday, Saturday, Sunday, they're going to have these great sales on uh, all of these uh, appliances and things that you can come. Uh, you can go to the regular store on Monday and get the regular price. Uh, but you can come and buy the damaged thing on the weekend for a regular price minus a little discount. So why don't we just hear the truth and pay the regular price that's low and affordable and then we could all be uh, uh, blessed. Uh, well, those people who hold to that are called fuddy-duddies and old-fashioned and you don't understand and you're a traditionalist and uh, you just you're not with it that's the modern generation you're you're old uh, uh, you're square but um, God condemns it those that call evil good and good evil that put darkness for light and light for darkness that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Just twist it all around and make it sound good. But in reality, you're buying what they say, a pig and a poke. You get home and you find out, you know. Um, I, uh, I'll just tell you a little personal thing here. Uh, my wife and I, knowing better, we went to one of these uh, auto dealerships where you get a key, you know, in the mail, and you go, and if you put the key in, uh, you get the new car or truck or whatever and um, if you don't then you get some other uh, if you don't get that then you get some consolation prizes well uh, when we went in of course they were happy to see us and the salesman took us over to the table and took the key and he just put it there didn't even try it because he knew it wouldn't work uh, and uh, so he gave us a $300 gift card okay now here's the kicker. The $300 gift card, you can buy these individual items for your kitchen or your yard or different things. Uh, but the shipping and handling charge, you gotta pay separate. And you gotta have either a credit card or a uh, bank draft or a bank check. They won't take a personal check for the, even though you got good checks, they won't take that. So you can buy this item, let's say, it's kitchen knives. And you use $10, but you gotta pay about 15 or 16 shipping and handling. So everything on there that you buy, and a lot of it is junk anyway. And why would you wanna go spend $16 for a kitchen knife? You know, you get it free, sounds good. You get it free, but then you gotta pay this enormous shipping charge. And then you got a handling fee on top of that. So. I haven't used it. If you want one of those $300 cards, well, I don't know if I can transfer it because it's got my name on it. But I'm not going to use it. 
because I'm not going to buy a bunch of junk. And, and every item, every item on there is a shipping and handling charge, 13 to $16. So you end up, if you buy four or five items, you could pay $100 for something you don't need, you don't want, that you can get for a few dollars from the credit card. I mean, it's, it's like a credit card, only it's a gift card. And uh, I don't know, I would have been happy if they had just given me, say, $100 cash and say, hey, here. But they're not going to do that because they know a lot of folks will not use that gift card. So what are they out? Just the cost of the advertisement. They got a sucker in there. Well, I knew the story when I went in, but I wanted to go through the, anyway, give my wife a little experience. <laughs> uh, but uh, anyway, uh, that's just a personal story. Now, going on here to the fifth woe. Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Self-conceited, intellectual, self-centered. Leave God out, leave his way out. How many are wise in their own eyes? Oh, I'm, I'm something special. I know, I know it all. I understand everything. You can't tell me anything. How many times... Have you started to talk to someone about something? Oh, yeah, I know, I know, I know. Well, you just continue on. You could be rude and interrupt and say, well, if you know it all, just forget it. No sense talking to that person. How many people are like that in the world? Or, or, or you see that. Uh, I see it. I, I like to watch uh, on Fox News. They have a program that's called The Five. And uh, it comes on at 4 o'clock to 5 o'clock. And it's a big argument between liberals and conservatives. And you get both sides of the story. And I won't name names, but, boy, they got some doozies on there. If, how many of you are familiar with that program? Okay, watch it sometime. <laughs> 4 o'clock. It's called The Five because it's 5 o'clock back in New York. And uh, there are five people on there. And they go for an hour. And I know my wife gets tired of hearing it, but I rather enjoy it a little bit, you know, understanding a little better. Uh, Reggie, close your ears. <laughs> okay, the liberal democratic point of view versus the Republican conservative point of view. Okay, you can, you can. Okay. Go on. Reggie and I know that we can hammer each other. And still love each other as a brother. And uh, who else here? How many other of you? Uh, okay, you two guys get together and you can console one another. <laughs> okay, so we got another one. Now I have to watch what I say now. Both sides outside. Notice where they're sitting outside. Okay. Well, okay. Have a little fun. But it's serious. Now let's go to the sixth woe. Woe unto them that are mighty to drink wine and men of strength to mingle strong drink. Well, now we just saw a little bit earlier God's condemned on those who drank wine and who were intoxicated and who looked to the beverage and who looked to the alcohol. So 
Here is another similar, but advanced a little bit because uh, these people are, uh, are drunken. And look at the result. Look what they do. Which justify the wicked for reward and take away the righteousness of the righteous from him. These drunkards that are intoxicated with, well, you can say not only with wine, but with power. And look at, look at the uh, advancement of some of these pseudo-intellectual people today who are persecuting and condemning Christians and the righteous and the lowly and the small people of the land and taking advantage of them uh, that are uh, justifying the wicked for reward and take away the righteousness of the righteous from him. Therefore, and we'll see two therefores, what God is going to intervene in this. As the fire devours the stubble and the flame consumes the chaff, so their root shall be as rottenness, and their blossom shall go up as dust, because they have cast away the law of the Lord of hosts and despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. So, root and blossom, all of the good from, from the very basic foundation clear to the end time uh, fruit of that is all condemned by God because they're doing it contrary to the law of God and contrary to God's way. They're ridiculing and scoffing at and belittling uh, and despising the word of the, of the Lord of hosts. How many, just look at, uh, if you're watching TV, how many uh, statues and how many, uh, in how many cities and villages where the Ten Commandments or the righteous law of God, or uh, prayer before their meetings, or all of this is being attacked and changed by uh, people who hate God's law and hate His way. And uh, they like the sensuality and the carnality of it, and they're promoting uh, the ways that are contrary to God. Therefore is the anger of the Lord kindled against His people, and He has stretched forth His hand against them, and has smitten them, and the hills did tremble, and their carcasses were torn in the midst of the streets. For all this, his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. And so, because of this, and the predominance of evil in the land, God is sending judgment. Now, right now, we know we have a... Uh, we have a little time. We have some uh, prosperity. Uh, we have jobs. We have homes. We have late model cars. Uh, we can afford the cost of the land, though it's getting more difficult. But those of us who see and know and understand God's word, not just, not just the things that we're reading here, these few words, these few verses that are uh, kind of summarizing uh, what Isaiah and others were saying that was going to come, and Daniel, then in the present future, plus that's going to come upon us in present time. We can look ahead and we can see it's getting worse and worse. It's getting harder. It's getting uh, more concerning the weather upsetting. Uh, the agricultural is uh, uh, affected. 
around this world, around global uh, fires, earthquakes, right here in Oklahoma, increasing, volcanoes, increasing, uh, poverty increasing, wars. Uh, I, uh, yesterday was saying, because of all of these uh, airplane flights over trouble, there are, uh, well, one report said 39, and another report said 41 troubled, warring spots on the earth. That's a lot of wars and conflicts that are going on between peoples and nations and between the people and their government and between governments. And uh, there's a lack of wisdom, a lack of knowledge, a lack of understanding, a lack of uh, knowing what God's will is. And so men are trying to figure this out and stumble through it and uh, they're still suffering the consequences because they don't know. I'm just paraphrasing some of the other scriptures. And so for all this, God's anger is continuing because sin is continuing. Now we see here, uh, as he concludes and wraps up here in these uh, latter verses, leaves it hanging a little bit because here a little and there a little, uh, we have some sometimes verses that are summaries that we can read a verse and get an overview or getting the cause and effect or the result. Or, but sometimes we have uh, passages that leave us hanging and we have to go somewhere else to get the resolution of that. And so we are left hanging a little bit because God wants us to use our mind and to think about this and to think about the consequences and the possible scenarios as well as he wants us to study his word and find out over here what he is setting up over here just like he is I read there in chapter 14 where God has a plan and a purpose on the whole earth and it's to uh, accomplish his will and we talk about his will and his uh, uh, purpose and, and concerning the holy days and uh, his word and, and we won't go into that but I just want to continue here uh, beginning in verse 26 as he summarizes the conclusion of this. And he will lift up an ensign to the nations from afar and will hiss unto them from the ends of the earth. And behold, they shall come with speed swiftly. So this hiss means he's going to whistle. And uh, I've told you this before, maybe many years ago. My brother uh, was a great whistler. And he could whistle some of those sharp, piercing whistles and he could sometimes do his fingers like this and make it loud and, and uh, you could whistle and you could call the animals in, the cows and the horses and, and uh, you know we can uh, whistle at our dog or a cat, my, our, our cat uh, used to, I'd go out in the yard sometime and I'd be whistling and she'd come running because she was, this is, believe it or not, this cat would come when you whistle. And uh, she since, after about 18 or 19 years, died, or we had her put to sleep because she was getting so old. And, and after many years, same thing on the dog, the Scotty, we put him to sleep, and I could whistle at him. But um, this is what God is going to do. He's going to summon all of these nations, and we have this not in these verses identified. So we have to look at the concluding and following verses in Isaiah and Jeremiah and in Daniel and then Ezekiel and in the minor prophets to see that it was the Assyrians that Isaiah is talking about as they gathered some of the other nations around them to come and bring judgment and discipline. 745, 722 B.C., 
Finally, ultimately, Israel was taken into captivity by the hundreds of thousands and deported out. And then later, Judah, the southern nation, by the Babylonians was taken captivity. And then they came back out of captivity hundreds of years later. So that's, that's a whole different scenario. But here God is going to bring judgment upon his people through, and we'll identify them here, through the Assyrians, through the uh, uh, nations. And behold, they shall come with speed swiftly. None shall be weary nor stumble among them. None shall slumber nor sleep. Neither shall the girdle of their loins be loosed, nor the latchet of their shoes be broken, whose arrows are sharp and all their bows bent. Their hooves, horses' hooves, shall be counted like flint, and their wheels like a whirlwind, describing these war chariots that are coming. Their roaring shall be like a lion. They shall roar like young lions. Yea, they shall roar and lay hold on the prey and shall carry it away safe and none shall deliver it. And in that day, what day? In that day that's identified in many, many prophecies, a day that is ahead of us, the day of the Lord, the day that is future. So we know in prophecy there is historical application. Then there is the predictive element of the future application, the typology. So you have one fulfillment and actually you can look at history and say this actually happened. Assyria actually overthrew and captured and took into captivity the uh, nation of Israel and later the Babylonians. And I've gone through all of that. And so we can, we can talk about these world ruling empires that are identified by Daniel that actually history shows the... Uh, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, and then the Medo-Persians, and the Greco-Macedonians, and then the Romans, and then the kingdom of God, the fifth world-ruling empire that's going to come ahead of us. But why would anyone under these threatenings want to continue in sin unless they don't know better, unless they've never heard, unless they're arrogant and foolish and reject the word of God and the inspiration? You know, there's a lot, there are a lot of people in this earth who have heard exactly what I'm saying today, who have heard it for many years, but they refuse to do anything about it. They don't change. They put far off. Oh, when, it, when it's necessary, then I can repent. Or I'll just, it's not going to be like that. Uh, uh, that's just foolishness and, and uh, everything has continued on just as the way it was from creation. Yeah, there's been some hard times, some difficult times, but, uh, you know, God is not involved in that. God is not, you know, he's not been working in history. He, he doesn't do what he says. That's the way a lot of folks think. But we who know better, we know that God is and that he speaks and that he has revealed certain things to individuals and they've written it down and these prophecies of Isaiah that have been there for uh, what 27, 2700 years now are duality and we're going to see them in the future coming, to, uh, coming about and coming to take place and in that day they shall roar against them like the roaring of the sea and if one look unto the land, behold darkness and sorrow, and the light is darkened in the heavens thereof. Now, Isaiah concludes this chapter here. 
and the following chapter doesn't continue on. You have to go a number of chapters to see more about uh, what, is, uh, what is going to take place. Now, I'm about to close here. Uh, I want to give us some things to think about. In the uh, character and the basic motive of individuals, uh, for some, it's to get. To get as much as they can. For some, that's good. And for some, it's bad. You know, if we're, if we're trying to get as much good as we possibly can, if we're trying to be as good as we possibly can, instead of trying to be as evil as we can, if we're trying to do that which is right, that is which is just before God, instead of doing bad, see, we have a choice. Every individual has a choice. They can choose. They can choose to be good or to be bad. To do good or to do bad. To get good, righteousness, or to get bad. And so, God has shown us in His Word the results of disobedience, of continuing in sin, of being uh, adversarial to His way of life. Compared to the good that he has shown us throughout many other scriptures that the good that we can endure now and in the future. So these six woes that are repeated uh, here in Isaiah, are they for us to consider? Do, do they apply to our nation? Do they apply to ourselves individually today? Now, we know in the New Testament, Jesus spoke about the parables of the vineyard and about those who are given gifts and those who qualify for the kingdom of God and those who judgment comes on them because they wasted and squandered and they didn't use. And so the vineyard of God was Israel. We know that is clearly identified. Also, God is working in his vineyard today, which he identifies as the church. And our, the plants are the individuals and those of us whom he is working with. So what kind of plant are we in his vineyard? Are we doing what is right and good before him? Or are we being like the rest of the carnal, sensual people who reject it? We need to consider. We need to learn. We need to be admonished personally by these six woes in Isaiah, the fifth chapter.